West Coast, No Coast, East Coast podcast, where I, your host, Adam Schaefer, will be breaking down all the happenings in the land's best fantasy basketball league, all the while attempting to reveal none of my actual strategy. It was the first day of class in some college course about journalism, and the professor, for the 50 or so of us in attendance, decided to give us an icebreaker, and it was this, go around the class... What's your name, and what is your guilty media pleasure? Now, I obviously understand the intention of this question, and I answered it as such, even as I was just a little annoyed with the whole idea of a guilty pleasure. One, why are you really feeling that guilty about things that you enjoy doing? And if you don't enjoy them, why are you doing them? And if you do feel that guilty, why are you continuing to do them? But that Again, of course, that was not the point. Uh, My answer was The Hills, the fantastic MTV reality show that I was only aware of because I happened to live with two girls at the time, and they happened to like the show, and I happened to join them for the episodes, and I enjoyed them also. And part of the reason that I enjoyed them is that I did legitimately learn things from that show. You can call it trash TV. Oh, in reality, this isn't actually reality. I learned stuff. And... And the point is not what I actually learned, because, quite frankly, I can't even remember it. Uh, The point is that you can learn everywhere. You can learn from anyone. And in this age of constant self-improvement and hacks and 10 ways to do this better, I think that's worth remembering that you don't just learn from reading books by smart people or watching shows created by very smart people. You can learn from anyone, anywhere, which I realize this is not some huge novel insight. Uh, What I do think is slightly more novel is the notion of unlearning things. It's not like constantly wanting to learn doesn't just mean absorbing new information. It also means revising some of the things that you already know, which of course means that you've got to expose yourself to things that are a little uncomfortable, that in the first sentence you start reading, you're like, oh, there's no way I want to agree with this person because it conflicts with what I already believe. That's like the real learning. That's the real hard stuff. And that's certainly a theme that I've hit on at some point in the past, but it's been so long since I've done a podcast I can't even remember. Uh, That's what being open-minded is. Like, it's, it's being most skeptical of that which you want to believe and running headfirst into that which you totally don't want to believe. Because far too much of our identity is vested in what we believe about things. And so changing what you believe about something feels like changing who you are. And when you like who you are, even if you don't like who you are, there is a comfortability in your current identity. And changing that is kind of scary. So to this notion of being able to learn in all sorts of places, we'll take a look at each team's roster, highlight one person on that roster, and try to extract a lesson from that player. This breakdown will not be brought to you by an advertiser because advertising is terrible. 
here's a reminder of what advertising is. Advertising exists only to purvey what people don't need. Whatever people do need, they will find without advertising if it is available. This is so obvious and simple that it continues to stagger my mind that the ad industry has succeeded in muddying the point. No single issue gets advertisers screaming louder than this one. They speak about how they are only fulfilling the needs of people by providing an information service about where and how people can achieve satisfaction for their needs. Advertising is only a public service, they insist. Speaking privately, however, and to corporate clients, advertisers sell their services on the basis of how well they are able to create needs where there were none before. I have never met an advertising person who sincerely believes that there is a need connected to, say, 99% of the commodities which fill the airwaves and the print media. Nor can I recall a single street demonstration demanding one single product in all of American history. If there were such a demonstration for, let's say, non-returnable bottles, which were launched through tens of millions of dollars of ads, or chemically processed foods similarly dependent upon ads, there would surely have been no need to advertise these products. The only need that is expressed by advertising is the need of advertisers to accelerate the process of conversion of raw materials with no intrinsic value into commodities that people will buy. That's from Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television by Gerrymander, which I guess is kind of an advertisement for that fantastic book. On to these fantasy rosters and the learnings that they contain. D, loading the D, features one LeBron James, who is great at any number of things on the basketball court and off the basketball court. And it is there that we will focus our attention. Yes, LeBron James did have two children out of wedlock, which is very much the norm in the black community. 73% of black children born out of wedlock, for comparison, the figure is only 29% for whites. Now you may be thinking, out of wedlock, who cares about that? Being born out of wedlock was seen as a bad thing in a previous time when we knew far less than we do today. People get married later today. They cohabitate in ways they did not before. Religion has declined. The power of women has gone up. And for these factors and many others, being born out of wedlock, who cares? And if the response is simply tradition, if the response is, well, that's the way we've always done it. We've always looked down on those types of people. So that's why I'm looking down on LeBron James. Well, that argument is obviously terrible. But in dismissing that argument, that doesn't mean that there aren't good reasons for the way that tradition existed. Maybe that person cannot explain those reasons, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Because in our rush to remake society, it is far too easy to look back at previous generations and see them as crazy and see the way that they set up society as suboptimal in a variety of ways. And that is certainly true with some of those banner cases such as civil rights. But those banner cases should not be used as an indication that everything was terrible the way it was set up before. I would propose that there actually are there were and there are good reasons for seeing a child born out of wedlock as a bad thing. And it is an understanding that a stable, stress-free, or I guess there's never, you're never totally free of stress, but a reduced stress home environment 
with those two parents is the optimal way to raise a child. Who understands this? Uh, well, one Barack Obama spoke about this in 2008. Quote, children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. And so with that understanding of the disadvantages that a child would face in a single-parent home, we look at a child being born out of wedlock as a situation where it's more likely that that kid will be raised by a single parent, which is true, and we demonize it. Uh, children in single-parent families, this is from 2010, 67% of black kids, only 25% of white kids, and of those 67%, some 90% are raised by women. But that is not the case in LeBron's home. So the important thing was not so much the being born out of wedlock, it's, yeah, we look at the being born out of wedlock as an indication that we won't have a good home life for that child, and that doesn't appear to be the case in LeBron's family. At the very least, there are two parents at home, and that is incredibly important. Here's what LeBron really made me think about. I've got a chance to bet on one of two kids. Uh, I get to bet who's going to be most successful. We get to find success however you like. Let's just say, for simplicity, kid most likely to graduate from college. The first kid is going to a 30th percentile public school. The teachers are disinterested. His classmates are generally terrible. Uh, the textbooks are from the 1980s. But that kid go, goes home every single night to a fantastic family. Two parents, two parents who are invested in his life, in his future, in education, and that home is one that is generally free from stress. That's the first kid. The second kid is going to a 99th percentile public school. But when he goes home each day, he has no support whatsoever. Uh, his father left at the age of six months. His mother is working a few jobs, doing some drugs, is not really that involved in the kid's life. Education is not uh, pushed hard. The kid is not being read to. I, well, I have no actual evidence to support this. I, I'm pretty sure we don't have, uh, have double-blind studies involving this scenario. Uh, I'm betting on that first kid. Uh, now, obviously, LeBron's kids have have the best of both of these things. They're not going to 30th percentile schools. But if they were, I'd bet on those kids. Wow, really, really stretching our lessons here from fantasy basketball. I promise that the rest of them won't be this long or this serious. I don't think. Well, we'll see. Hey, old Pablo, strongly in contention. For that SAT, which, Colin, we have not heard from you, 2017 has ended. We had heard that you were going to do it before 2017 ended. We got to know where that stands. Uh, always would be open to having you on the podcast, which doesn't exist much anymore, but would certainly be revived another week if you were willing to come on and talk about it. Back to Hail Pablo. And again, lots of competition going on this season with a few weeks to go. Both for last place, really a two-man race between Kobe Swoop and Hale Pablo, though James and the Giant Reheat could enter his name in that contest as well. The playoffs, I mean, oh my god, it is tight. 
Uh, yeah. God, that, that was really worthless analysis. Uh, we'll, we'll go back to the lessons with Hale Pablo's Russell Westbrook. Pareto efficiency. It's the idea that you can improve for some people while not making anything worse for anybody else. So uh, you want to build a highway and let's say that this highway would absolutely improve the lives of millions of commuters. And let's also say that the people who are next to the highway, they, all of them are deaf and all of them are blind. And so their lives will in no way be made worse by the construction of the highway. That would be a Pareto efficient outcome. No one's made worse off. Some people are made or made better off. Those outcomes, as you might have guessed, are really hard to find. What usually happens is someone is made better off, someone else is made worse off, and perhaps there's a net gain, right? They lose five, someone gains seven. It's an overall win for society. That's where almost all of our discussion is going to come in. And so it is there that we need to focus and remember when we make declarations about obvious changes in society that should happen because, oh, I mean, well, uh, we should have single-payer single healthcare because that would just be better for everybody. Like, <laughs> there's no way anything would be better for everybody. What? And Russell has at least a little bit of understanding about this, and that he did not fall into the trap that everyone falls into when talking about all-star snubs. Paul George should be on the team. End of sentence. That's where people usually end. Oh, there's a roster. There's a limited number of people. You don't just get to make Paul George better and not have anyone made worse off. You got to name someone who should be replaced. It's really easy to criticize the media members who vote for a team or the coaches who vote for a team if you don't have to live within the same restrictions that they had to live within which is actually having a cap on the number of people on the roster. Russell Westbrook did not make this mistake. He basically called out Damian Lillard and called out the Warriors having four people. Could he have gone further and actually named them by name? Sure. But in this day and age where no one is able to understand this, I'll take what Russell Westbrook. Uncle McBuckets. Focus on DeMarcus Cousins, who's no longer on the roster, but works for this segment. Uh, works because of this important concept that DeMarcus Cousins reminds us of. When you are getting emotional about something, uh, something that is objectively petty, like fantasy basketball, or really like most of the things in your life, an easy way to bring yourself back from that emotional response where you get a little irrational, you get too emotional. Oh my God, this is... DeMarcus Cousins just had a 44, 23, and 10. This is just ridiculous that he got injured. I was going to make the playoffs. Now I'm not. This is so unfair. Is just think about what you would say to someone else who had the same thing happen to him or her. Remarkably, you will be far more reasonable to that other person. I mean, just think, like, take it back from DeMarcus Cut. Well, I, we'll keep it in this. Someone else loses Gordon Hayward right at the beginning of the season. What would Greg have said in that situation? Oh, I mean, that sucks. Injuries are part of the game. It was just really unlucky. It happens to everybody. No, would he be emotional? Would he be screaming about, screaming about how it was so unfair? No, just, hey, this is what happens. 
And so when you catch yourself in that moment captured by emotion, just try to pretend it was someone else and I think you'll be able to deal with it a little bit better. To Rudy's Towns and Anthony Davis, who serves as a wonderful lesson in how easily humans are manipulated by things that aren't actually related to performance. We overrate people who are good looking. Look at our prison system. There is, there are any number of tests that will show that, right, they'll bring in all of these defendants. Let's say there's a hundred defendants. Um, ah, this actually happened somewhat recently. I could look up the details, but then you wouldn't be able to learn as much. So you can look up these details if you doubt me. Um, the defendants were rated for their attractiveness. I mean, it was more than 100. I mean, these studies have been done in a lot of ways. Rated for their attractiveness. The attractive defendants received sentences that were half as much, all, all else being equal, as the people who were unattractive. Has nothing to do with anything. You look at Fortune 500 CEOs. Check out the percentage of them that are above six feet tall. What, does this allow you to actually lead a company? I mean, in that way, you actually, then it's like, you know, we, you can say that that matters because we are manipulated by these things which should be unrelated to performance, but because we're manipulated by them, it then is related to performance. As it goes back to Anthony Davis, he has, for some reasons, in that he's dealt with some injuries, but mostly because the guy is just bland. I mean, we could have done this lesson for Kawhi Leonard as well, but because the Spurs are so successful, that allows him to be bland. But because Anthony Davis doesn't do anything controversial, doesn't have a cool name, came in at a slightly different time at the NBA, came onto a team that hasn't been that successful, he's just generally overlooked. Um, and that's something for us to all think about that, I mean, like a quiet person's an easy thing. Now, like there's like a super smart person in your office who happens to be quiet. And so no one thinks that he or she is that smart. Whereas there's the person who's leading all of these conversations and there's a halo around him or her for no good reason. Green 18's Alan Crabb. Simple lesson. If you want to look older, grow a really big beard. That also works, generally speaking, if you want to look less cool. You just look less cool with a really big beard. Still Dre and Kawhi Leonard. Medicine is not perfect. Humans are very complex. And as much as we have learned about the human body, modern medicine isn't right all the time. Modern medicine comes with a ton of side effects much of the time. And so our culture, which is a little bit less relevant to Kawhi Leonard, um, our culture of, oh, I'm just going to take this pill, it will make this thing go away. Well, it, it's never usually that simple. This isn't even about treating the root cause or treating the simple symptoms. It's simply having surgery, taking drugs, there are side effects and things that can go wrong, certainly with the surgery side. Then with drugs, like it's not even stuff going wrong. Just read the side effects of Tylenol, much less the prescriptions that you are taking for far more serious things than a headache. So this 
this surprise that medical staffs get things wrong. Oh my God, I can't believe they, I can't believe we get things right as much as we do. I mean, we still haven't even answered what is the optimal way to eat. It's 2017. I mean, we mostly have it, but do we? I mean, we were just incredibly wrong about fats for the last, I mean, this was in the 21st century. So, uh, if there's a lesson to take from it, and it's not a very comforting one, it's to expect that someone else is just going to be the oracle, is just going to have the answers for you and your body, that's a problematic way to think. There really is no one who's going to care about your body as much as you are, which means that you have to kind of become an expert on a lot of these things, even though you didn't go to medical school and you don't want to think about it because you're in a ton of pain. But the alternative just seems a lot worse. 10,080 minutes and a player who I honestly had never even heard of. And then I just saw his stats. 16, 20, 12, 10. I mean, no, 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 it's only points. And points is the easiest thing to notice. And it doesn't look like he did anything else. Uh, Timothy Luwawu Cabarot. Now, I'm sure that there, there's a place where this is, where people would immediately be able to pronounce this name. Would immediately understand this name. Uh, this is just a lesson, though, or a reminder that that which you cannot pronounce will be much harder to remember. I mean, it sounds really obvious, uh, but it plays itself out in a lot of ways. I mean, the craziest way is that stocks with ticker symbols that are familiar that, so if your ticker symbol is cat, uh, versus a, a nothing, if it was uh, CLW, you know, taking some of the letters here from Timothy, uh, all else being equal, your stock's going to outperform. People whose name you're going to be able to remember, the people who advance. I mean, this is going back to some of the stuff we talked about before, of like just being tall and being good looking and how advantageous this could be. Here's something that a parent actually can control. Give your kid an easy-to-remember name, and it's going to be beneficial. Balls to the wall, still my favorite team name in the league. We'll go with John Wall. And on this topic of getting people to like you, really easy way to get people to like you. Be good at dancing. Like, you don't have to be great at dancing. But if you can just have one good move that you can pull out at weddings, that you can pull out at the club, just 30 seconds worth of dance moves. All of us, the most uncoordinated, uncool person, can come up with 30 coordinated seconds to look good on the dance floor, and you will instantly have friends if you want them. John Wall uh, does this with the Dougie. He came out, did the Dougie at Kentucky. He was so sick at it. And I bet that's why people like him. Certainly why I like him. How about Ish In My Pants's Enos Cantor? He's been a man with some opinions, specifically as it related to LeBron James. Fantastic tweet after the Cavaliers gave up 148 points. He calls out LeBron's common hashtag of strive for greatness. Hilarious. This is not only hilarious, 
but it's a great reminder that you don't need to be important to have smart opinions on things. You do, as we talked about at the beginning of the season, need to ask yourself if you have the right to have an opinion. But having the right to have an opinion has very little to do with how popular you are, how much money you've made, how important you are, and has everything to do with your knowledge on a specific subject. Enos has some pretty good knowledge on the subject of LeBron James, and it doesn't matter if he is a center that no one really knows much about on the New York Knicks. No, that's not what determines if you have the right to talk about something. So thank you, Enos, for talking. I realize that Enos might have said some stuff earlier in the season that wasn't actually correct. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I mean, maybe I am if it was, if it does conform to what I just said. Uh, I'm just talking about him trash-talking LeBron most recently. People being like, oh, you're not, you know, you're not a great player. He's better than you. Like, you still give up 148 points. He can still make fun of you for that. <laughs> Which, that's always a funny defense to anything. And you know that you basically won an argument when the moment you bring up something, the person responds of just an ad hominem attack on you. Like, oh, yeah, you suck, Cantor. But we weren't talking about me. We were talking about the fact that you guys just gave up 148 points. That was the topic. I know that you're better than me at basketball. I'm not doubting that. But I also, while just looking at Ishin in my pants' roster, saw that Josh Jackson went 0 for 13. Uh, there's no real lesson there. I just thought that that was worth mentioning. James and the Giant reheat. Steph Curry. Be wary of people who flatter you early and often. They're trying to sell you something and they know that the quickest way to your heart is flattery. That's my best explanation for how Steph Curry wound up wearing Under Armors, which are hideous. They're hideous every year. Under Armour is a terrible brand. And that's all I have to say. Okay, maybe not all I have to say. I do know that Nike screwed up the pitch to him and blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, just be wary of when people flatter you too much because i'm sure that those under armor execs came in played to his ego and that's i mean god those shoes are just terrible terrible we will wrap it up with a man who is in last place matthew mason who is surely way too busy to be listening to this podcast his team kobe swoop we still love that team name uh, just a general comment on how many team names have carried over from year to year i think that's pretty enjoyable uh, what do we have to say about Kobe? So what can we learn from this team? Ah, uh, yes, contrast and the power of it. Isaiah Thomas has been a little upset lately that he has been blamed for the recent struggles of the Cavaliers, and he pointed out some very good points, which is that the defense was awful before he got there, so why are people looking at me? They're looking at you because of the power of contrast, and this is why, just as you should be concerned uh, or you should be wary, I should say, of people who are overly flattorious to you. Definitely not a word, but I'll roll with it. Uh, is understand how much people compare things based on contrast. This is why negotiation is so often taught in the paradigm of throw out a very large number and then work back from that. Because I come and say, 
oh, I'm going to sell this car to you for $7,000. You think it's only worth $3,000. But already your mind has been changed because you've been anchored to this higher number that will then be contrasted by my concessions when I come down to 5000 and 5000 seems fantastic. This speaking of these cars, uh, car dealerships, right? The negotiation happens on the $40,000 car. Then you throw in the 500-hour radio, and it doesn't seem to matter. Why? Because of the contrast. $500 in isolation is a pretty hideous amount of money to spend on that terrible stereo that you're having installed into your car. But contrasted against $40,000, eh. It's why certain real estate agents will take you to awful overpriced homes at the start of your home shopping experience. And the third home that you go to, which isn't actually that good of a deal, now feels like a great deal. So Isaiah Thomas, yes, it's not really your fault. This is just how humans think.